We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's one from uh, from um, John A1. Here, let's go to this one. Now that Notre Dame has added a transfer running back, who in the running back room best compliments Audrey Estimate? A healthy Jadarian Price is without question the best compliment to Audric. And I would argue just on skill set alone that the next guy on the board is Jeremiah Love. Those two guys are much better compliments and now I think all four of the backup running backs are actually complementary to Audric. I think Audric has a different skill set than the rest of the running backs, but I would rank Jadarian as the top of that list. And then Jeremiah, um, a very close second. And that's partly because Jeremiah just um, is still a freshman. We have to see him play. That's just, that's the thing. We got another one here from John A1, Ryan. There's Ryan, Sean. <laughs> as far just, as health goes, the three most important players, in my opinion, are Sam Hartman, Joe Alt, and Blake Fisher in that order? Does I be agree or disagree? Uh, I agree with the first two. I feel like I feel like number three. Boy, that's a that's a good one, Sean. That's a boy. Let me see. I'd actually the guy we we're just talking about. I'd say Audric right now. I'd put three ahead of Blake Fisher. I feel with Tosh Baker with with Emil uh, Wagner with guys like that. I'd feel a lot more comfortable with those guys being the every down bat or every, every down right tackle than I would necessarily uh, Jabron Payne right now being the guy, Jadarian Price. And it's not about talent. It's just about health. I mean, is Jadarian ready to go from not playing at all as a freshman, recovering from an Achilles injury to being – the guy that carry that touches the ball 15, 18 times a game. No, he's not going to be ready for that right, right now. Jabron Payne hasn't, I mean, hasn't really played a full football game, a healthy football game since his sophomore year, which is what now three seasons he's played. Three. So it's just about the unknown of their health. And then Jeremiah loves a freshman. So I would actually put Audric Estime there ahead of Blake Fisher, just because I feel like there's some more experience and, and healthier options to replace Blake at right tackle than there are at running back this season. I so. would put Benjamin Morrison at three. Yeah, I get that. I think as far as talent wise, I'd get that. I, 
I just my only thing there is I just I like the depth there. Yeah, but the depth doesn't mean that they're him. Yeah. No, See, they're that's, not. That's, what I'm saying is like what it's kind of like this, Sean. I'll, let me ask you this question. What would now do you and I agree that Sam Hartman's a much better player than Cade McNamara, correct? <laughs> you just made me laugh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right? Yes, we agree on that. Significantly so. Yes. I would argue, however, that Cade McNamara is a bigger improvement for Iowa than Sam Hartman is for Notre Dame relative to who was there before. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Same thing at corner. So Benjamin Morrison is better than Audric Estime, better than Blake Fisher. But I would say is I don't think the drop-off from him to the next guy would be as big as the drop-off from Audric to those other guys simply because of the lack of, of what we know about health. Now, I'll say this. If I knew that Jadarian Price was fully healthy and ready to go, Audric's not even in the conversation because I'm like, dude, they got – they're going to be fine, right? Especially now Dem Ford. If if it's a, it, Audric goes down and you got a healthy Jadarian, a healthy Jabron Payne, healthy Devin Ford and Jeremiah Luck, you're going to be fine. It's the health part for me, but that's where I'm coming from. But yeah, you're correct. There is, and, and I think you throw Cam Hart in there too, Sean. Is either one of those corners? There's a big. Dr- I mean, you know, those yeah. guys are dudes. Yeah. And there's a, there's unknowns. Those other guys, we don't know what those other guys are going to be. But it's not a health thing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we got Noop Life 007 with a question. Brian and Sean, who was the biggest underachiever and overachiever you ranked coming out of high school 
guys you didn't think would contribute much to become a star? For me, the biggest un- underachiever for me was Josh Barajas. I mean, I get asked this all the time. I don't know why people obsess about this question, but they ask, what's the biggest recruiting miss you ever had? And I'm like, it's Josh Barajas, and it's not even close. I mean, I now he would not be a five-star on my current system. He'd be a four-and-a-half-star in my current grading system, but still, I thought he was a dude, and he was awful. I mean, when I watched him his first freshman year, I mean, you kind of knew right away. Like, he, his body type changed. He – he you some of the things I'd heard about what he kind of did in preparation for the season, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, that kid was a guy that they flipped from Penn State, Sean. It's not like this is a kid that you beat Indiana and out for that nobody else wanted and you took a flyer on. And I mean, this is an Army All-American. This is a kid that, you know, you flipped Penn State for that some big-time programs are coming after. And he was really in high school. And then you watch him as a freshman in high school and you're in college, and you're like, who the heck is that guy? I don't know who that is. That's not that's not Josh Barajas. And then he goes to a one double school and does nothing. Like there's something more there than the talent there. Uh, so that was without question the biggest underachiever. Biggest overachiever to me is recently. And that's Kyron Williams for me. I, I had Kyron Williams near the bottom of my recruiting list. I mean, I thought he was a very good high school back, good dual play, dual, you know, dual threat player. I thought he was going to play. I think he was going to be a good rotation guy. Even as a freshman, I was like, when they were having a running back injury, I was like, play Kyron. Kyron's a nice compliment to Tony Jones in 2019. Never thought he was going to be a back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher, ever. No way. He was a way better player. And he was a way better player early. Like, if you'd have told me by his fifth year he's going to break out and have the kind of season he had as a sophomore, I'm like, yeah, okay, mate. Yeah, I can see that. He'll play behind a pretty good offensive line and all that. But he did that as a redshirt freshman. And so Kyron was way better than I thought he was going to be. So whether you want to call that a misevaluation, which it was, or him overachieving, um, uh, he was a lot better than I thought he was going to be. And I didn't dislike him, Sean. I just I thought he was going to be a nice, good rotation player. That's it. And he was the guy. I mean, early, early on. He was a big part of that offense in 2020. <laughs> big part of that offense. Most people might laugh. But I think Joe Alt was an overachiever, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. I thought he had a chance, because of his bloodline, I thought he had a chance to be good. But the fact he had to play really early and turned out to be as good as he was early, that I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. So, and that's with him. You know, I think you had him at about a, what, four and a half? As an upside grade. Seal it yeah. upside. Mm-hmm. And he has definitely eclipsed that. Oh, gosh, yes. And he did that early. <laughs> early. Early. So. And I was high on him. I mean, to your yeah. point, I was high on him. I had him a four and a half. It's a, a four and a half star is the upside of a top 50 national player. Like That's really good. But he became a five star as a true sophomore. I mean, and it, it was tr- even it was even clear as a freshman, Sean, that he had more upside than yes, it was than I thought he was. I mean, yes, it was. Yeah, it was because he just moved. So, I mean, because you're first of all, I thought he'd need a couple years to get big enough, and then he comes out as a true freshman. He's over 300 pounds, and you're like, this guy's really athletic still. Man, it's like okay, this guy's this guy's gonna be really good. And then it took maybe two three games to be like, yeah, his ceiling's higher than I thought yeah. it was. Yeah. And I'm again someone who thought he had a very high ceiling. <laughs> so it's um 
Yeah. Some of the other guys that I missed on are, are guys or not say missed on, but underachieved. I think a lot of it had to do with injuries. Like Tommy Kramer, I think would have been a much better player without all the injuries. Josh right, Lug would have been a much better player without all the injuries. Yeah. Javon McKinley would have been a better player without all the early injuries in his career. So there's some guys like that too, that, that uh, didn't quite live up to speed, but, but um, I, I think it had more to do with things that are maybe outside of their control a little bit yeah. more than anything else. All right. Here's a here's one from uh let's go um let's go Siggy 13. Did, did we do oh no, this is a different it's type a different, of question. different type of it, yeah. All right. SEC is keeping eight conference games instead of bumping to nine. Do you think the playoff committee would ever factor in a non-SEC two-loss team over a one-loss SEC team due to the cupcake game handicap? No, I, I I think they should, but I don't think that they will. I think that I because Sean and I'm curious what your thoughts on this, but to me, the 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 everyone's convinced them convinced themselves that the SEC is just way here and everybody else is just way down here, and I just don't necessarily agree with that, especially when you're talking about the top teams. Now, I think the SEC still, for the most part, to this day, is the much deeper conference. Right, I, I get all that. Uh, but it's not as deep as it gets made out to be, in my opinion. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, but you don't always play those teams. And I would say, especially if you're coming from, and it's not going to be the East and the West then, because they're going to go to some different level. Like, are they getting rid of divisions altogether or something like that? So it's going to make it even harder to look at it. But I think that they people in the committee and ESPN have convinced themselves that the S well, just by the nature of playing X amount of SEC schools will, Nobody else has to play eight SEC schools, you know. It's like okay, whatever. So I don't, I don't think that they will. I think that they should. I, I think. Look, if you're a two-loss SEC team, um, you know, ever factor in a not if you're a two-loss non-SEC team, I don't think you have a snowball's chance in heck of getting in over a one-loss SEC team, unless unless that two-loss team is a blue blood. And the one loss SEC team is Mississippi State, Kentucky, Missouri, something like that. Because they're not going to get the same benefit of the doubt that LSU and Georgia and Alabama are. So that's the other part of it too, Sean, is who is the one loss SEC team we're talking about? If it's a two loss Baylor team that just played a juggernaut of a schedule and had some big wins over Alabama with one loss, it's a no brainer. If it's, Arkansas with one loss, Mississippi State with one loss, and it's Oklahoma. Well, actually, Oklahoma is a bad example now. USC and the Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Clemson, Florida State. That team might get more of the benefit of the doubt over a Missouri, a Kentucky, a Vanderbilt, a Mississippi State. But if it's Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, uh, Tennessee, Florida, and they're a one-loss SEC team with a crap schedule outside of that one loss. Like no, it'd be like a, a, a an SEC team having like Notre Dame's twenty twenty-one schedule, where you literally played one good team all year and they beat you. Right? There's some teams that have had two losses that should have got in over that Notre Dame team. If if we come down to it, now that year there weren't any other teams that could. It was a, just a down year, which we thought it would be before the year. But I just think the SEC is going to be, get the benefit of the doubt in those situations, Sean's, unless the temp pens are. What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on the situation. Traditionally, no. 
I would say no. But, you know, you can have one situation that sticks out to where that needs to be a conversation and you really need to interpret what you're looking at with those two teams. I think one of the bigger questions, I think there was a question this year with Alabama. And people ask the question, is Alabama a better team than TCU? Mm-hmm. It's not a question of whether or not TCU had the better resume. Right. Is Alabama a better team than TCU? Let's have an honest discussion about that. Right. And, you know, the resume won out. So I can definitely see a discussion being had in certain situations. And, you know, it's always resume versus team. Mm-hmm. Resume versus team. And I think every in a vacuum, if you ask me, is Alabama better than TCU? I'm, 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 yes, I'm going to tell you yes. Sure. Yes. But you can't devalue the regular season. Right. You can't devalue what teams do. At that point, then what do we sit down and tell these young men? Right. That What's are the point of playing? What's the point of playing? Right. Well, and also because I I don't know that I would say last year's Alabama team was better than last year's TCU team if they played in the regular season. Because what do we have to go on? We have to go on who they played. Well, Alabama lost to really the only two good teams they played all year. I mean, they didn't have to play Georgia. They played Tennessee and lost, and they played LSU and lost. I know they were close games, but you literally lost to every good team you played. Your only other win over a ranked opponent was what, Texas? You know, you beat Utah State, Louisiana Monroe, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. Oh, Mississippi State. I'm sorry. Yeah, that big, huge win over Mississippi State. You know, oh, wonderful. That's that's great. You are, you should be in the playoff. But you have you have a common opponent. That's the yeah. thing is too. You had a common yeah. opponent. Alabama got outplayed by Texas. If Texas doesn't lose their starting quarterback, games probably not all that close. Right. Well, TCU played Texas as well, went on the road and outplayed them, thoroughly outplayed them, beat them 17 to 10. But that's only because Texas recovered a fumble and ran it for a touchdown late in the game. It was not a competitive game. So if you look at like the game control and all the metrics that factor into that, Texas against the same common opponent on the same exact field, TCU was the better team. So if you're going to look at resume to your point, Sean, I don't know that last year's Bama team is better than last year's TCU team because we never saw them play. Well, look what they did to Georgia. But Bama didn't play Georgia last year, so we don't know what Bama would have done against Georgia, right? And so I, to your, I think you make a great point. It's you're going to have those situations, but resume has to matter. Mm -hmm. Remember when they were trying to do this in 2018? They were trying to say that an undefeated or the two lost Georgia team deserved to get in. No, you don't. Well, look how close they played Bama, but they lost. They had their chance to get into the playoff, and they lost. They lost, and they got smacked by LSU by twenty points. Yeah, but if they if they were to play Notre Dame or if they were to play Oklahoma, would they win? It's not the point, because otherwise, just give Bama and Georgia a, a spot. Hey, you guys got your automatic berths every year. Because mm-hmm. if Georgia last season, let's just say for some reason last year, Sean, that Georgia would have gone out last year and lost to Kentucky and or lost to Missouri in a game that they struggled and lost to Tennessee. They didn't play that well against Kentucky and would have lost to Kentucky and been a three-loss team. They still could have beat Ohio State and TCU. So does that mean they should still get in because they have better players and in, a, in, a, in an individual game 
could beat Ohio State, could beat TCU, could beat Michigan. That's not how it should be. And I think that's such a – well, who's the best team? What defines a best team? The team that wins. Isn't that what makes you a good team? Not the most talented team. Well, they're going to have X number of draft picks. Don't care. Has nothing to do with it. So I just – I get kind of annoyed by that thing where, well, this team's better. Based on what? Because this year's version of that team is not better. And we we heard this crap with Notre Dame in 2018 as well when Notre Dame beat Michigan in the head-to-head. But going into that Ohio State game, you had literally had people like Kirk Herbstreit and others saying that if Michigan beat Ohio State, they actually couldn't had an argument to get in over Notre Dame. Based on what? They, oh, the Big Ten, they beat so-and-so. But they literally got outplayed thoroughly by Notre Dame. Never led. The only time it was tied is and it was nothing to nothing. I mean, so, but that's kind of, because it's the, it's the reputation of oh, who you play and who you are and all that kind of stuff. Like if Georgia goes 11 and one against that schedule this year, they're, they're getting in, you know, they go going when they, they're getting in. Right. But do we really know that they're as good as they were the last two years? No, we don't. Cause they're not going to be ta- challenged, you know, where let's say they don't have to play the best, what we would perceive to be the most talented sec team because they got beat up in this juggernaut of a, cause I think the sec West this year is loaded. I mean, I think Arkansas, especially with KJ Jefferson, is healthy. I think LSU is going to even be better this year than they were last year. I think Ole Miss is going to be a pretty good football team this year. I think Texas A&M is going to be better if Judd, if uh, Jimbo will let Bobby Petrino run that offense the way he wants to run that offense. They're going to be better. I think the West is going to be really good this year. I could see a couple two-loss West teams being better than just about anybody in the East outside of Bama. Or, I mean, outside of Georgia. But Georgia doesn't have to play any of those teams, and and so that's why it's like, well, you didn't you didn't get the best because this team kind of had the rougher. They had three of their four toughest games were on the road. You got the team in the SEC West that happened to have a little bit of an easier slate, you know, because Alabama has to play all those West teams, but then they also have to play Tennessee, you know. So it's like they could lose twice and still be a better quote unquote. I mean, a team where if they play Georgia, they'd beat Georgia, but Georgia's still getting in because they only had one loss and they didn't have to play Bama. So, you know, the whole thing just sucks to me. I, I I really think it sucks. I just I can't stand it. But nobody really in the media I've seen challenge it yet because it's the SEC. They they already got to play a tough enough schedule. I've actually seen a couple people actually speak out against it. To be honest with you, now that I think about it. Um, yeah, I, I've seen a couple people say, like, you're going to have 16 teams in the league and you're not even going to play half the teams in your league because that's what's happening now. If you play eight games and an eight, if you're playing eight of the 16, eight of, uh, you're playing eight games in the 16 conference league, you're not playing half the teams, right? No, that is half. You're playing half the teams. Right. Because right? you can only play 15 of the teams because you're one of right. the teams. Right. That's what so I was saying. It's a little bit over half. A little bit over half. That's it. You're yeah, playing half, right? And so, Whereas, like the Big Twelve for the last few years, you literally had to play everybody, and you had to beat somebody twice to win the Big Twelve. You had to beat every team in your league and somebody else twice, or at least played somebody twice. So yeah, I just I get I get sick of the SEC, man. I really do. I, just, I can tell. It's evident. It's quite evident. <laughs> I just I hate. It's like you know, it's all because everything they do now is just money, 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 money. And, you know, because like, you know, it's like the whole it's the whole thing with college football right now, man. It just drives me nuts because you've got the NCAA and their corruptness on one side. And then you got these NIL agents trying to pretend like they're the arbiters of goodness. Right. Like, no, you're just trying to 
win on this side for your thing. You you don't care about the game. Why there's just it feels like there's just nobody in it now that cares about the game anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's all about this group needs to get paid and that group needs to get paid and this TV contract and that TV contract. And it's like, does nobody care about the game anymore? And the answer is no, because no. ESPN doesn't care about the game. They care about making money. Commissioners don't care about the game. They care about making money. Because here's the thing. You could you do all these things for the integrity of the game, but if you're not making money for your teams, guess what they're going to do? You're out. But, hey, I made the game better. <laughs> don't care. You didn't hook our pocketbooks up. That's what they care about. There's nobody looking out for the game. you know. And we've gone from one extreme to another, in my opinion. And so I just laugh when I see all these NIL agents trying to act like they're just the 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 fighters for fairness, you know, in this whole battle. Yeah, I'm sure your commission that you're getting for these kids is, you know, you don't want a cap on it. And I, and I don't think there should be caps on NIL. I think that's a horrible proposal by the NCAA. There should not be caps on how much you can make in NIL. That's not free market at all. And if these NIL is about name, name, image, and likeness, this isn't a salary or a stipend you're giving every player. This is, I'm the star quarterback in Notre Dame. I'm worth this because this company's willing to pay me that. And the starting quarterback at, you know, Indiana State is not worth that because he's not the quarterback at Notre Dame. There shouldn't be a cap on how much I can make because I'm the quarterback at so-and-so. That's, to me, against what NIL is supposed to be about. If we're going to talk about, like, salaries and stuff, sure. I mean, we can talk about that. If we want to talk about what I think collectives should be giving everybody, I think collectives should be giving everybody. Like, I would set a rule if I was football king for a day, I'd set a rule that collectives are a good thing. I think they're, I, I like collectives. But there should be basically you have to pay every player the same and there's caps on what teams can pay for the collective part. So we're just everybody's getting paid. You're giving in a support to team and everybody that's part of your team is going to make a minimum, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, whatever the case may be. And then you can also get NIL deals as part of other things. So I can go, you know, be a social media influencer or something like that. And they're willing to pay me for that. I can, you know, go on a local car comp car dealership wants to have me as one of their spokesmen and an influencer. So they're going to pay me X amount of dollars because I'm the starting quarterback at Notre Dame, then that's fine. And my value should be set by what those companies are willing to pay me to go. To. That's what the, me, the free market's supposed to be about. And so that shouldn't have caps. Collectives, I'm okay putting caps on. But let's be real. These NIL agents aren't aren't upset about caps because they think it's unfair. They don't like caps because it's putting a cap on their commission. That's why they don't like caps. It's not because they just, I just have a heart for helping young people. Okay, then don't take a commission. Do a pro bono, Right? No, that's not what it's about. And I'm not I'm not against them making money, but just stop pretending that you're the arbiters of fairness and integrity. You know, just say what it's about. We're trying to make the most for our clients because that's how we make the most money. Just be honest about it. We nobody's it's like A-Rod, I, I didn't leave the Mariners to go to the Rangers because of money. It's because I want to win. Dude, you left the best team in the American League for the worst team in the American League. Just say it's about the money. No one's gonna have a problem with that. Dude, do you know what they why did you go to the Rangers? They offered me four hundred million. And the Mariners offered me two hundred fifty million. Uh, so you know what? And I will say this. I, I will say this. There is opportunity for industry, business, and expansion, and getting in on the ground floor. These NIL agents know mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. anything from a legislation standpoint that can cap it or you know hinder the expansion of the industry. Heck, they just held one of their biggest conferences. 
You know, Brandon Winbush was talking to us about it about a month ago down in Texas. So they're looking at where this thing can go in 10 years. So look mm-hmm. at it almost as uh, they look at it as insurance agencies. Look at us. How can we take the service that we provide for you and allow it to not only uh, give us revenue, but then how can we take that revenue and grow it? Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to build a business. I mean, now that's, that's the honest thing you would like. We're trying absolutely. to build a business here. Okay. Got no problem with that. Fine. You see the opportunity? Build the business. But in doing so, understand that that business cannot get so out of control that it impacts the game mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And that's the fairness you would love to see from right. both sides of this or all right. sides of this. And and again, I'm, I'm okay with the NIL agents and lawyers pushing back on NCA proposals because we all know the NCA is going to do whatever's best for the schools. They're not, they don't care about the players. We, we know this. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a pushback. What I get tired of is the pushback that's this this self-righteous pushback about fairness. No, it's not about fairness. You don't care about fairness because if you could have it your way, you would make it go completely on the opposite end because the opposite end is how you make the most money. Let's be honest. It says it's about fairness. Yeah. You're not looking to be fair to colleges. You're looking to maximize what you the best you can do for your client, which is your job. That's literally your job. I'm okay with that. But just stop pretending like you're these arbiters of truth and justice and fairness and equality and all this other nonsense. Cause you're not, you don't care about that. Right. And and so if, if, if college football was making nothing, these people wouldn't care about what's best for the players. Cause there'd be no money in it. If, if, you know, and so I just, I get, I get tired of that whole thing, but the, the, it goes back to the whole point of nobody's looking out for the game anymore, Sean, nobody's looking out for the game. Not coaches, not players, and I don't expect the players to because what th- what do they know? Yeah, you know, like they, they don't know, right? But it, it just it, it's like Major League Baseball used to be this way. There it, you, there was a time, Sean, when there's no way you'd have you you and I could have been convinced that Major League Baseball is not going to be the number one sport in America. <laughs> there was a time where there's no way you'd have been able to convince me of that. Yeah. Now is it even in top four right now? I mean, top three right now? <sighs> I mean. It's definitely not. I mean, I'm talking like college football, college or NFL, NBA. Is the NBA head of Major League Baseball now? I mean, but it's why? Why? It's all because of things that they have done, choices they have made, because there was too many people that were worried about the money and not worried about the game. Like my dad, Sean, is a huge base, was a huge baseball fan my whole life. We would drive down to Reds games. He played baseball, played softball. He loved baseball, loved baseball. I don't know that he's watched a game on television since 1994 because when they canceled the World Series over money, my, he, I'm done. Yeah, and he's yeah. never come back. Yeah. Never come back. Yeah. And he I, never I will. I understand. You know, understand. and it's like, because you ruined what made the game great to me. You know, and, and he's never been someone who's like, doesn't believe players should get paid. Yeah. It's just like, but you're willing to sacrifice the game <laughs> for that? Like, no, I'm you know, because again, who who are the people that are paying these players? It's not owners. It's it's us at the end of the day. It's my dad, who's a father of two kids, who you know drove a truck and 
you know, to to make sure we had food on the table and worked hard. And neither one of my parents went to neither one of my parents graduated high school, much like, less went to college. That originally, you know? that that is the connection, right? Originally, once radio rights, TV rights, streaming rights, you know, once all of that stuff started coming in, that was outside of ticket sales, yeah, concession sales. The direct connection to the consumer was broken, right? Because now this is our focus as far as revenue, right? Like we look at revenue as far as ticket sales, like that's that's pennies, exactly. That's pennies. So now we don't have to care about the direct connection to the consumer and how they feel. Right. We have to service the politics of the big money, and that's why they miss ended up missing the postseason in the World Series. It was about right. the big money, and it's the same thing that's happening. Yeah, it's the same thing. You're, and your father right now is the one that's being punished because the right. Reds, the Reds have one of the best farm systems. Well, but they're about to go into probably one of the. He'd have had to deal with a lot of bull crap from 1994 yes. to now. Yes. <laughs> to get that is true. They had a lot of sucky years. That is true. But it was more so just the game. My dad loved the game. But your dad you know, had the. The Barry Larkin years, the Chris oh, Sable well, years. Well, he, he, my dad was more of a um, big red machine guy. Oh, you know, he he became a Reds fan. You know, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe yeah. Morgan, Tony Perez. My first favorite player for the Reds was actually uh, my eventually became Barry Larkin. But my first favorite player for the player for the Reds was Dave Concepcion. Nice. That was my first guy because he was because nice. I was a shortstop, and you know your favorite players usually, uh, at least for me, was the guy that played the position that I wanted to play. So Larkin wasn't even with the Reds yet. Dave Concepcion was the shortstop for the Reds back then. And, uh, you know, but uh, like for me too, like I just, I eventually I just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just, you know, I, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of this other thing. I just want to watch the game. Yeah. And so I don't talk politics on the show. Cause I have a very strong, I don't care what your politics are. You can say whatever you want, take your stance. I, I mean, some of the greatest athletes ever have taken very strong stances about certain issues, I was like, but when I'm watching a game, I don't want to hear the announcers talking about whatever political issue that they want to talk. I just, let me freaking watch the game. Let me watch the game. You know what I mean? I, I fully I understand that. Yeah, I fully understand. You know, and for people that care about athletes off the field, then they can listen to what they say off the field. But I don't want to hear about it when I'm watching the game. You know, so there's just all these things where they just they no longer really care about us anymore. That's what it no. comes down to. That's and, evident. Yes, yeah, and, and that hurts the game. And, and so if they don't care about us, it used to be to where there were certain things you just couldn't do because you didn't want to turn the fan base off. And it's like they don't really care about that anymore. Oh. Eventually it's going to hurt you, though, because Major League Baseball didn't think it was going to – Major League Baseball kept saying, well, the, the fans will come back. They'll come back. And some of them did, but clearly not like it used to be. I mean, NBA, same way. There was a time when the NBA was arguably – the most popular sport in America. I mean, it started with Bird and Match in the 80s, and then, of course, Michael took it to a whole new level in the 90s. And the NBA hasn't recovered uh-huh. from from what it was back then. I mean, you go look at the numbers for the – I mean, I, I've heard people – I mean, numbers now for, for playoff games are not anywhere close to what they were 20, 30 years ago, right? Because some, some fans are just – you know, you, you forget about us after a while. And you say, well, you know, we're going to play to the, the, the wealthy class. Well, there's a lot less of them than there is of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Notre Dame games. They Notre Dame doesn't. How can they make it more affordable? They don't care to make it more affordable for you. They don't. They don't care that the local South Bend dad, father of four, can afford to bring his kids to a game. They don't care. No. 
they care about the wealthy donors and the people that do have that kind of money because they don't care about the, and that's why Notre Dame, for example, is not a community co- uh, program. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, here's an interesting one from John A1. Ah, is the 23 season last chance you for Al Golden in an effort to be a head coach at the Power Five or NFL level? I, hmm. Do you have a, do you have a, I would say, Sean, I would say no, but he at least has to start going in the right direction. Like, I don't think if Al Golden, if Notre Dame's really good on defense this year and Al Golden doesn't get a head coaching job this offseason, it doesn't mean he'll never get one again, if he wants one. I would say if they have a bad year, it could be. But I don't think, in theory, he has to get a head coaching job this year or he's never going to get one. And I, that may not be what you're asking, John. Yeah. But I would say, like, if, if Notre Dame's really good on defense again this year and he stays for one more year and they're really good again in 24, he can get one in 2024. Because sometimes you're beholden to what's out there. Yeah. And there's been a lot of coaching turnover the last couple of years, Sean. A lot of coaching turnover. And so sometimes when you have two, three years in a row of a lot of turnover, there's going to be a year or two where there's just not a lot of big jobs coming open. And so you got to be careful. Because I think one thing Al Golden learned in his previous coaching rise is not every job is a good job, especially for you. You got to fit right. And Al Golden was never embraced at Miami. Now he did things that, you know, but he was just probably never going to be embraced in Miami. Yeah. You know, you have to think fit. Fit is yeah. very important. Tom O'Brien going to NC state, Randy Edsel going to Maryland. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just some, now some coaches I think can, can fit anywhere, but not all of them. There's some like some coach like, Hey man, you need to stay in the North or Hey man, yeah. you need to stay in the South. You know, like could, 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 would Bobby Bowden have been accepted by Ohio state fans? Did he win? Like, <laughs> You know, because Ohio, yeah. Ohio, the only difference between like, you know, the 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 blue collar state like Ohio and a and a state like what Georgia used to be or Florida used to be back then is the accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you recognize, hey, he's blue collar. We're blue collar. We're not you know, we're not like L.A. You know what I mean? Now, could Bobby Bowden have thrived in at USC? No, I don't think so. I don't think you put that guy out in Hollywood, and I don't think he resonates with West Coast kids the way that he would have with, with Ohio kids, right? No. That's oh. why that's why Pete was so special, right? At USC, and I think he USC, Hollywood. Yes, yeah. and USC has been trying to find that, yeah, ever since he left. He was just the way he related to everyone, the way he do. L.A. has so much to do 
and the fact that he was supposed he was able to bring the eyes of LA to that team that just showed you the genius of him as a personality and a coach, you know. And then the job he's done with Seattle. That think about that. He goes from LA, glitz and glamour, and then goes to Seattle in an NFL <laughs> coaching situation. Mm -hmm. And he's able to win that he is a chameleon in a sense. He's that type of coach that you can really put anywhere and he will probably be successful. Yep. And not all coaches that way. No. Like, I don't know that Dabo could thrive at Notre Dame. I don't know that he could run his program at Notre Dame the way he did it at uh, at Clemson. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the greatness of the job that he did. It just – some things work at some places. They don't work at others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the reality of it. Yeah. So I think fit is important. I mean, look, Randy Edsel didn't forget how to coach football when he went to Maryland, guys. Tom O'Brien didn't forget how to coach football when he went to NC State. It's just different kind of kid, different fit. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, so, like Lou Holtz could say, well, you know, Lou Holtz's shtick wouldn't work in the SEC. Uh, it did. It did. I mean, I mean, it wasn't the SEC at the time. It was the Southwest Conference. But the Southwest right. Conference then is what the SEC is kind of now. You know what I mean? When you think about well, the teams. I mean, Lou, Lou won, won in South Carolina. Yeah, not to the degree that he did at other places. Oh, like he didn't well, win Orange Bowl he, and all that. He yeah. elevated it. Oh yeah. Oh man, from where it was. Oh yeah. Lou did a he did a pretty yeah. good job. But they but were competitive. The point is like, you, you think a guy that's going to do that at a like a blue collar kind of upper place like Notre Dame? Well, he did that at Arkansas. He, he was pretty. I mean, it he was pretty good at NC State too. Like you think yeah. like how'd that yeah. stick work in the South? Yeah. Because he's just that guy, you know. But not every guy can be like that, right? Uh, and we'll find out, you know, we'll find out if Brian Kelly can be that guy long term. You know, I have my doubts, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, maybe he is that guy can win everywhere. We'll find out. But um, no, it's it's going to be a big year for him in that regard as well, Sean, because they should be I better agree. than they were last year, I think. Yeah. I, I like their roster coming back. I really do. Yeah. I actually in a show this week, I said this defense, in my opinion, is on Al Golden. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're in year two I, now. Yeah. I, I was like, look. Don't tell me you don't have the pieces, because you do. You have pieces this year. So when we come to great game plan and adjustments, all of that, coaching, whatever else you want to throw in the bowl, you should have the ingredients to have a top 10 defense. Top, at least top 15, at right? At least top I mean, 15. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I. Uh, it's going to – I mean, yeah, year two, year one, you can say, hey, look, there's this reason, that reason, new staff, everybody's learning uh -huh. your defense. It's complicated. I get all that, right? I mean, look, even Brian Van Gorder's defense got better in year two, Sean, a lot better in year two. It still wasn't good, yeah, but it got a lot better in year two just because they know what you want. And, th and they knew how to overcome the badness of what <laughs> you were trying to, you know, with that 2015 team. Absolutely. I don't think they have to do that with Al Golden. I, I don't think there's, like, unsoundness to what he's doing there's some bad calls. Everybody makes bad calls. The safety mm -hmm. blitz against Ohio State was a bad call. And you know who else will agree that that was a bad call? Al Golden. Al Golden. I guarantee you Al Golden looks back now. I was like, he may have said at a press conference. I, I don't know that he did. But I guarantee if you were sitting there talking ball with Al Golden, say, hey, what would you have called there if you could change it? Sometimes, like, hey, I would have called the same thing. I guarantee he'd be like, you know what? Looking back now, knowing what I know then, yeah, it was, it was, it was the right call. He, he got caught in the presence. Mm -hmm. 
right? And maybe that's one of the things of being first-time defensive coordinator in Notre Dame, you're caught in the moment. Right. Not understanding and looking at, oh, we just lost him on that last play. This is what Ryan Day is probably going to do. There is a lot that happened that with more experience in the position, he probably would have picked up on things and said, this is normally, this is what I would call. But because Tariq is down, this is what we have to do in this situation. And because there was a time, people have pointed this out, there was a timeout. Timeout, yes. It wasn't like Tariq limped off the field and somebody hustled in real quick and they didn't have Mm -hmm. time to see it. There was a timeout. Because right. you're getting caught, like you said, in the, in the moment of this is the call we practiced in this situation. This is the call we're going to mm-hmm. without having that. I know my team. I know my this. I know my this. And we can't do that now. And would he have made that same call in week 10? I, I don't know. But I definitely don't think he's going to make it in year two. And, be, and or he may still make it. But now he know his players know it better. It wasn't Jaden Mickey's first career game ever. You know, Jaden's going to have a better idea of how to play that route now. That's the other part of this, too, is he's going to know to play that route differently. Take You can't give up the post there, you know, and, and you can't bite that first move. Well, Jaden's going to be a lot more prepared to handle that on September 23rd if he's put in that same situation after a whole year plus four more games than he was in the first game of his college career, to your point. So, yeah, you you expect him to make those improvements, and I think that he will. I'm really not as concerned about the defense as some people are unless we just see regression from a bunch of dudes. I, I, I'm i really not – I really think this defense is going to be pretty good. I don't think it's going to – I don't know how good, I, but I think it's definitely going to be a top 20 defense. Mm-hmm. The question, Sean, is can it be a top 10 defense? Yeah. This is not a debate for me of if it's going to be good or bad. It, it's not. It's going to be good. The question is going to be how good. That's going to have a bigger determiner on the season. Well said. Yep. 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 Irish Gordian Knotts. Last year, they lagged on defensive line recruiting. That caused issues with top end guys, parentheses Scott. And this year, there was a lapse in O line recruiting, parentheses Lambert. What has the staff done? What can they do about this? I don't know that I would say that there was a lapse with Kirby Lambert. As much as it's just when there's a transition and you go through a few weeks before Joe Rudolph was hired, at least a couple of weeks before Joe Rudolph was hired, mm-hmm. uh, where you know other schools are recruiting a kid and then you bring in a new coach who doesn't have that same connection and relationship with the kid. So I don't know if I would say it's a lapse unless you're just referring to the, that as a lapse in time, right? Maybe maybe that's it, perhaps. I don't know if I'd say a lapse is just a circumstances were tough. And, and so, you know, and again, we we don't know that they're not going to get Gary Lambert. I had an Intel piece on it, which I'm sure that you read, Irish Gordy not. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would say it was a lapse. But to, to specific to your point, what can be done about it? And I, I think with with uh, the defensive line recruiting, Sean, it's just come up with a better plan and make sure that the plan is being stuck to and make sure that your coach your coach knows he has to recruit the entire board. Uh-huh. I think there's a different issue with Al Washington than there is with Chris O'Leary, for example. And we had some dude on the chat yesterday saying, why don't you ever attack Chris O'Leary for his recruiting? They were getting honest for we were being hard on Al Washington. Uh, more so me. Of course, he points out, why weren't you ever hard on these three white coaches and you're only hard on this one black coach, which I'm like, I'm sure Brian Polian and Brian Kelly and Jeff Quinn would <laughs> you know, like, have some words with you on this, which yeah. is it's just silly and petty. 
but the, the, there's there's always circumstances are different, right? Why was I more willing to give Chris O'Leary a pass his first year or two than Al Washington? Is because Chris O'Leary was a brand new coach who was like twenty something years old and never done this before. Well, we're in year three now. It's you need to figure it out now, right? So now you're going to be held to a higher standard. You know why am I holding Al Washington in different standard than 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 Joe Joe Rudolph's a different standard than Al Washington? Well, it's what he inherited. Number one, and the nature of that position. There's always certain circumstances that come down to it. I think with Coach Washington, the thing with him is, I think it's just about you've you've got to be more organized and consistent with what you're doing. I think it's a big issue for Coach Washington. With Coach O'Leary, Mike, because when because there's some kids that Coach Washington really connects with, and there's periods of time during Justin Scott's recruitment, Sean, where you've talked to him and it's like, yeah, that's my guy. We talk all the time. And then it's like, well, we talk every couple of weeks. It should never be the, it should be the same throughout the entire time with Chris O'Leary. You're now at the point now where you say, Hey, I, I don't know if he has the chops at this point in time without Washington. It's, I think he's got the chops. I don't think he has the discipline yet to be a, an impact recruiter in my opinion where when you look at the great class he had out against at Ohio State, you recruited literally an, an elite linebacking class that only could be rivaled by Notre Dame's, but they were literally all in-state kids. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different deal than you have to go all over the country and get Justin Scott from Illinois and Logan Thomas from Texas and Elijah Rushing from Arizona. It's a whole different animal, right? So you got to be real disciplined yeah. with the way you approach your recruiting process. I think that's the bigger issue for Al Washington, not that he can't be a good recruiter. It's that he's not – because he's not consistent enough in, his, in carrying those things out. With Chris O'Leary, my question is now, if you can't finish this class off right, I don't know that you got the chops to recruit at this level. And you name, you know, with, So it's a little different. So I think there are things that you can – point being, there are things that I think are fixable with Al Washington moving forward that if he does them, he'll be fine. With Chris O'Leary, if he doesn't do a better job, it's just kind of like I don't know what's missing you know, like you're working hard, you're calling kids, you talk to kids, you're a good coach, but you're not getting the job done. You just, for whatever reason, you don't have the chops to be good here, to get it done here. Right. And sometimes that's the case as well. Uh, with O-line recruiting, it just takes time. Sean, you and I talked about this a lot yesterday. Oh. O-line recruiting is a different animal, man. And, and yes, we can have opinions and feelings and praises or criticisms of the job Joe Rudolph does this year. But the 25 class is going to be the one where we're really going to be able to look at him and say, how are you going to do Um, in this class? Yeah. Do you have the chops to make it here? It'll be that class that tells us that. Not so much the finish here. But I'll say this. If he he does finish with Gear B. Lambert, that's a big win because you had to come back from it. But it it isn't something where I'm like, okay, he's great. He's wonderful because you were leading for that guy when you got hired. Mm -hmm. You just had to, you know, overcome some things and get back on top. Uh, it's still the 25 year, even with success this year, I think next year is still going to be the year that defines the job he's doing. In my opinion. I agree with that. So, but what can be done about it? I mean, and I don't get it done. Lag of D line recruiting. I think you summed everything up. I think Notre Dame. It's almost like going, going to, (laughs) it's almost like walking in the store and going shopping. And then realize you didn't bring when you go to check out, you didn't bring the right card. It's like, oh man, I don't have enough on this card. 
And and that was Notre Dame last year with the defensive line hall they had. Like they went out and you do you get Brennan Vernon, you get Keon Keeley. And, oh man, that's expensive without placing it in an NIL conversation. Mm-hmm. That's expensive territory, you know. And if you don't have enough to see it through to the end, whether that's time and faith or whatever then that's tough. You know, that's tough. And I think Notre Dame recognized and has recognized and has to had, has had to make some adjustments on the run as a staff to really find their fit of how aggressive they can be going after certain kids and then having a realistic uh, view of what's really going on with kids and knowing when to fall off and knowing when to stay aggressive on a kid. Like, I don't know if they stay on Caleb Beasley. Yeah. In previous years. No, no you know, Sean. You know. <laughs> you know. Nice. <laughs> the interest they wouldn't have. <laughs> you know? And that's, you know, that's the cost. And I think they're learn. I think they're going to learn a lesson with this Justice Scott situation. Win, lose, win or lose, they're going to learn from it. They will. Hopefully, they will. And you move forward. But I don't think their effort is lagging as far as what they want to do. I just think certain coaches aren't holding up. Like like Brian said, look, it's it's not like. You fans don't see it. And so we're not telling you anything new. You know, I look at a kid. I just had sent them a congratulations yesterday, Jair Hill from Kankakee. He graduated yesterday. I sent them a congratulations. You know, he's going up to Michigan, and he was high on Notre Dame. Notre Dame was high on him. Something happened with the relationship. It might have been great related. I'm not sure. Mm. But either way, he fell off, and then he ends up having a fantastic senior year, not only on the gridiron, but in track and field as well. You talk about a four-star rangy kid at safety? That's that's him. But like you said, you don't know the dynamics of what happened mm-hmm. from Notre Dame being at the top of his list to just communication broke off. Then he ends up in Michigan. That's just... That's recruiting, and man. Who, who had, was that you were talking about? Jair Hill. I'm taking yeah, Key, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. So, it's just it was an evaluation decision. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's that's always going to be a miss that everybody has. Yeah. You know, it, it, to me, recruiting is is part of evaluation, but you gotta be you can evaluate all you want. You gotta be able to get those kids. And that's just what I mean, at the end of the day, this is what the article I wrote earlier today. This is gonna this and you and I talked about yesterday. The yeah. success in June is gonna define how good of a coaching staff, recruiting staff, this defensive staff is. Yeah. Flat out. It's gonna tell us a lot. A I'll lot. give you I'll give you another name. Uh, there's a kid. I man, his mom is a childhood friend of mine. His name is Kenneth Grant, defensive tackle. He is supposed to be the next great defensive tackle in Michigan as a sophomore. That's and I talked to his mom, and I'm like, did Notre Dame ever? Like, no, not really. And he was from Maryville. So 
that just goes to show you, man, that some some slip through the crack for, for whatever reason. And the evaluation, like Brian says, is about preference, preference, right? Right. Fit, preference. Fit, yeah. preference, all of that. Like you can sit and watch film and we can see two totally different things. I can come away like, oh man, I love that kid. And so yeah. Brian can come away saying, he's 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 good. He's good. I'm not saying he's great, but he's good. Or vice you know, versa. Vice versa. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm not about to say the staff lags as far as you know certain areas in recruiting. As far as getting people to sign, the what's obvious means not big. We need not say it and talk about it again. It's it is what it is. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.